John the Baptist said to the crowds who were coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you from these very stones, God could raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the tree, and every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So the crowds said to him, well, what then can we do? John said to them, anyone who has two coats should give one to someone who has none, and all those who have food should do likewise. Some tax collectors even came out to be baptized. They said to him, what should we do? John said, do not collect more than has been prescribed for you. Some soldiers, too, came out to be baptized. They said to John, we, what then could we do? John said, do not extort money from people by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. As everyone was filled with expectation and questioning in their hearts whether John himself might be the Messiah, John said to them, I baptize you with water. But there's one who's more powerful than I who's coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. With these and many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. The gospel of the Lord. I heard from a few of you after last week's sermon that I seemed angry while I was preaching. It wasn't a judgment. You weren't mad about it, but a couple of people thought I was mad last week. I was a little surprised and then a little self-conscious about that, concerned about how it might come off to people who don't know me well. So I was really glad when I realized we got a little more John the Baptist this week. You brood of vipers. <laughs> he was calling people names. He was yelling about this wrath that's to come. He was railing about threshing floors and unquenchable fire. And I feel like that makes whatever I had to say justified at least and tame by comparison. And on top of that, though, after calling the crowd, um, coming out to be baptized, names like Brood of Vipers, after threats of being cut down and burned up like trees, after talk of being baptized by the Holy Spirit and with fire, after announcing that Jesus would be wielding a winnowing fork, that he was about to clear the threshing floor, that he would separate the wheat from the chaff, we hear that everyone was supposed to receive all of this as Good news. Doesn't sound like good news. John the Baptist seems angry. And on the third Sunday of Advent, it didn't and doesn't feel very much like Christmas. 
But the truth is, John didn't have Christmas on the brain. John wasn't feeling the holiday spirit in in those days down by the river when he was baptizing people, when he was waiting for Jesus to meet him out there in the wilderness. It's important to remember that what we just heard in Luke's gospel takes place years after Jesus' birthday in Bethlehem. These were days just before the beginning of Jesus' ministry, remember, when he was already grown, about to show the world that the kingdom of God had come near and that Jesus himself was going to be the way and the truth and the life of that good news. And John the Baptist was tired of waiting. Again, not waiting for Christmas to come like we may be, week number three, not just waiting for Jesus really either. John knew Jesus was here and ready and willing to begin all the good things Jesus was ready to do. John seems to be tired of waiting on the people, all those people coming to be baptized, all those men, women, and children presumably, all those tax collectors and soldiers and strangers, too, who made their way into the wilderness hungry for a different kind of teaching for a change. People longing for a deeper kind of spirituality than they were used to. People searching for a new way of being in the world that John's baptism and this Messiah they were hoping for promised to them. John seems tired of waiting for them to get it. John seems tired of waiting for everybody to grasp it. John seems tired of waiting for people to be changed by this promise he was offering and that Jesus was about to deliver. Have you ever waited for someone to change something in their own life that you knew would be good for them? Like an alcoholic, maybe, who can't get sober. Like a drug addict, perhaps, who can't kick the habit. Like a loved one with an eating disorder, maybe. Like a friend who won't leave a bad or even abusive relationship. Maybe like a kid who just won't do what they could or should do to get their grades up or to try something new, or to make better choices. I think that's how John might have been feeling, down by the river. Not as furious as he was frustrated. Not so much mad as he was discouraged. Not as angry as he was exasperated pleading with God's people to do something new, to do something better, to do something different for a change. Because that's what repentance means, one of John's favorite words. To turn, to change, to be changed. John wanted people to stop making excuses to stop denying responsibility, to grab hold of what a journey of faith could mean, not just for those who engaged it, this faith, but what it could mean for the world they were meant to engage because of their faith. 
which is why I think John still has something to say to you and me. Because what gets my attention about this passage every time is when John tells the people that from these stones, God could raise up children to Abraham. What John knows is that some of the Jews in his day were resting on their laurels as descendants of those Old Testament Jews that we know about. Abraham in particular. They seem to have been under the impression that since they had Abraham in their family tree, that this faith-walking, repentance, life-changing stuff didn't really apply to them. They were the chosen ones, after all. So maybe they had an in with God because of who they were as God's people in the world. So when John says, from these stones, God could raise up children to Abraham, he's basically saying, get over yourselves, people, and get busy. If God just wanted descendants to Abraham, if God just wanted religious people by name or by ethnicity or by heritage or by denomination, whatever, God could bring them back from the dead. Or God could just mix up a batch of new ones from the stones at your feet. From these stones, God could raise up children to Abraham. But like those crowds of tax collectors and soldiers, all those curious souls of every stripe that were being baptized by John way back when, we're descendants of Abraham just the same, you and I. And we have work to do, you and I. Not because we have to, but because we get to. And like the saying goes, I think John is saying to us, just as he was saying to those crowds down by the river, we are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We forget it sometimes when we rest on our own laurels or when we despair and let it get the best of us or when the world convinces us that we can't or that we shouldn't or that it's not our place, but we are the ones we're waiting for to make a change in this world and for the sake of this world precisely because we are descendants of Abraham. We are children of God. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing in so many ways for the world. We're the ones we're waiting for to do something about gun violence in this country. We are the ones we are waiting for to do something about this pandemic whenever and wherever and however we are able. We are the ones we are waiting for to do something about everything that I rattled off last week. Sexism, racism, homophobia, poverty too. We are the ones we are waiting for, you and I, to give thanks for the grace that belongs to us because we belong to God and we are the ones called to share that same kind of grace with the world, however, whenever, wherever we are able to do that. And I think sometimes it takes a child to remind us of that. 
a child in a manger, of course, wrapped in swaddling clothes and headed for Calvary. A child who looks like those crowds gathered at the river with John. A child who looks like us, too, still waiting for so much to change. A child who looks like the we we are waiting for. So let's be changed, you and I, for a change. By the kind of repentance John calls us to and by the kind of repentance that God desires, the kind of repentance that matters, the kind of repentance and transformation and difference that would make God smile. Let's ask different questions. Let's seek better answers Let's keep longing for a better way and let's let this child who comes in Jesus turn us around in real, meaningful, evident ways that haven't happened yet. Evident ways. But that can and will happen when we let the grace of God at Christmas have its way with us every moment of every day that we're blessed to live and to move and to breathe in and for the sake of this world. Amen.